Let's stand together at this time. We're going to look in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. What happens when we give up? Acts chapter 13 and verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Verse 13, though, the same chapter says this, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his word today. Is my prayer. You may be seated. Our message this morning will be built around the story of a young man known as John, simply in this passage. Uh, The chapter begins with these two missionaries, uh, Paul and Barnabas, as they are sent out by the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the church at Antioch. Chapter 13, verse 1 begins, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, that's Paul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so they being sent forth by the Holy Spirit immediately would begin that task of the first great missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, joined by this young man named John as their assistant. Now, we know very little about him up to this time. He doesn't appear very often in the New Testament narrative, except, of course, that uh, he is Barnabas' nephew. Some translations have that as cousin, and that's because uh, in many, many, many cultures you'll find that there's a certain ambiguity uh, when it comes to extended family. And uh, so it could be his uncle, could be a cousin, uh, but we'll go with uh, the fact that he is Barnabas' nephew uh, this morning. He was a young man, uh, no doubt a saved man, and when he hears about this great adventure, he is quick to join up as an assistant then. He would help them with all the details of, of life, finding a place to stay, finding them food. All these things have to go on. I mean, life goes on. You can be in the ministry. You can be on the mission field, but you still have to eat. You still have to sleep somewhere. You still have to have things uh, uh, somewhere, uh, a, a bed to sleep in or something similar to that. Uh, arrangements had to be made. And so John Mark would have a vital task to play uh, in the ministry of these two missionaries. With the whole world ahead of them, it's intriguing that their first stop was Barnabas's home region, the Isle of Cyprus. That would be really great for them. And John Mark's role of finding food and finding them a place to stay, no doubt, was very easy in that very pleasant summer of ministry on Cyprus. Uh, They would land there and preach at Salamis. They would go all the way across the island then, no doubt ministering as they went and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ as they went until they came to the place of Paphos, the city of Paphos. And there, of all things, they were to receive an audience with what we would call the governor, the proconsul, uh, whose name was Sergius Paulus, 
identified for us in Acts chapter 13. As they began to try to preach to him, though, there was a Jewish sorcerer, seer, prophet on the scene, false prophet, I should say. His name was Bar-Jesus. Uh, the name actually means son of Jesus. Some uh, critics of the Bible have seized on that uh, to try to present that as proof that uh, Jesus was married and had kids. Uh, listen, Jesus was a very common name uh, in Bible times. There were a lot of people named Jesus. The Hebrew form of that was Joshua. If you go to other parts of the country it's, or the world, not so much here in the United States, but other parts of the world, Jesus is still a very common name, although they might pronounce it differently. And so this man, this son of Jesus, uh, who was a wise man, a seer, an advisor, no doubt, to the governor, when Paul and Barnabas began to try to preach to this man and share the gospel with them, he withstood them. Paul had a simple solution. Verse 8, But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, a different language, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Don't you wish Saul, Paul would have told him what he really felt? You full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What a summer of ministry. The governor of Cyprus gets saved. The sorcerer gets struck blind. Who knows how many people received Jesus and how many people uh, have become part of, of, of established churches. With winter then fast approaching, they set sail toward what we know today as the country of Turkey. In the region the Bible calls Pamphylia. When they arrived there, the Bible says very simply, John turned back and went back to Jerusalem. The Bible gives us no indication of what John's thinking was at the time. The Bible simply says that he left. But we know, we know what it is like to be tempted to quit, to give up, to turn back. We find it in all areas of life, but especially so in the Lord's work. There are people who are tempted to give up on their marriage, tempted to give up on being a parent, tempted to give up on their job, their business, their career. Sadly, some are tempted to give up on life altogether. A temptation is very real. We know what it's like. We don't know what was going on altogether in John's life. We can see a few things, as I'll show you in a few moments. But uh, we don't know, really, what all his thought process is. We don't even know how that he left exactly. 
It's seldom one thing that does this to us. Usually it's a combination of several things. When troubles begin to gang up on us, uh, I always liked that uh, little picture that we used to circulate around before there was email. We copied them and, and shared them uh, around the office and, and with our friends and would post them up on the wall. And I always liked the one that showed a very obviously frazzled lady who said, you know, they say take one day at a time, but here lately several days have attacked me at once. I know that feeling. It's not just one thing. We can handle one thing. It's when they begin, things begin to gang up on us that we start looking for a safe zone. We know the missionaries were now traveling into foreign countries where before they had been in, in the mild, temperate climate, beautiful place of Cyprus where there were many friends and relatives where Barnabas and, and John had grown up. Now they're in very much foreign territory. It's all different now. We have no idea really how the scene of John's leaving actually played out. The missionaries might have got up one morning to John gone and maybe just a note left behind. It happens. Might have been a lengthy process where he was discouraged and he kept talking to Uncle Barnabas. Man, you know, don't we just need to go back to Jerusalem? I can even see how such a thing would play out. We've led a lot of people to Christ. We've had a great summer uh, it's winter's coming. There's a lot of good people down in Jerusalem. We can have a good winter in Jerusalem. Maybe go down to Jericho if we want to go somewhere else. Uh, uh, Jericho, by the way, had a subtropical climate year-round. So uh, uh, many people who lived in Jerusalem would go down to Jericho uh, to stay there during the winter because the climate was just so agreeable. Instead, they're up here in Turkey, and it's cold, and it's probably windy, and... People maybe are not that hospitable. Maybe he's just homesick. Anybody that's ever dealt with somebody homesick knows that there's only one cure when you're homesick. Home. That's it. His mother was living in Jerusalem. He went back to Jerusalem. doesn't matter today whether we're on the leadership side of that equation or we are on the service side of the equation, whether we're on Paul and Barnabas' side or whether we're on John Mark's side. Either way, we, we know the struggle. We know what it's like when you're in leadership, uh, when you come in someday, and I mean somebody's just gone. Uh, maybe even in the church, yes, you come in, somebody's just gone. I've seen it happen way too many times. Uh, where, you know, all of a sudden, they, we don't know. We don't know why. Where'd they go? Nobody knows. They're just gone. They're, the rapture didn't happen. I know that much, but uh, they're, they're just gone. It shouldn't be that way. You're right. It shouldn't. Sometimes people get discouraged, and they talk about it, and we try to minister to them, try to help them along, try to keep them going, try to prop them up, but they're gone. Well, this morning we'll look and see some things play out as we look in this passage and consider what, what happens when we quit? What happens when we give up? What happens when we get out? Some of you today might be struggling like John was. And, and you might not have quit, but, but you're tempted. Uh, maybe, maybe you've already stepped to the sidelines. 
All those years of playing basketball, I can honestly say I spent many a time languishing on the bench, begging in my mind, not in my mouth, never came out my mouth, but begging in my mind, put me in, <laughs> put me in, put me in. I can honestly say I never got out there on the, in the game and said, take me out. Take, I never happened, never happened. You turn your ankle, you're hobbling down the court. Come on, come on. No, I think I can make it, coach. <laughs> Just give me a second. I'm walking off. We don't want to. But somehow, in the Lord's work, we put ourselves on the sidelines. Maybe we still go through the motions this morning, but your heart's not in it like you want. When you're tempted to quit, listen, this feeling is real. It happens. It happens to those in leadership. It happens to those uh, who are in positions of service. All of us, all of us, especially in the Lord's work, face that temptation. So this morning we're going to look at it. When we're tempted to quit, there's something that we can see demonstrated very powerfully in this text, and that is that God keeps working. God keeps working. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue of the Sabbath day and sat down. Paul and Barnabas did not give up and go back because John, uh, John Mark did. It, it didn't happen. Uh, the Lord kept working. There was more work to do. And this demonstrates a couple of things for us that are very helpful. And the first one of them is that none of us in the Lord's work, nobody, nobody is indispensable. Nobody is indispensable. Uh, even though God must do without someone who chooses to give up or chooses to go back, yet the work goes on. God's word is still preached. Songs are still sung. Offerings are still taken. Souls are still won. Churches are still established. And people are brought closer to God. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see it time after time after time after time. Workers sometimes give up. Workers sometimes give out. Workers sometimes die. Workers sometimes are martyred. But the work of God goes on. God keeps working. God keeps working. The greatest pastor in the world may resign his church or, or drop dead. God still works. Maybe the church keeps going and keeps flourishing. Some great evangelist meets a tragic death. But the work keeps going. God has a remarkable way of reaching down and touching the lives of young men and raising them up to continue on in the work. I watched a military movie not long ago where a leader was preparing his men for a battle in Vietnam. And as they were training, he reminded them of the importance not only of knowing their job and knowing what to do, but making sure that every one of them as junior officers was responsible for training somebody beneath them, lower in rank, to do their job. It was a sobering moment when the commanding officer said, we're going to land under fire and some of you will die. You need to make sure that somebody behind you knows how to do your job. You see, it's possible for us in the Lord's work to lose sight of that fact, and we can actually behave as if we are indispensable. We do that if we fail to teach somebody else how to do our job. 
We need to do that. I need to do that. Every one of us needs to be passing along that knowledge. In the Bible, it's spelled out this way. I call it the 222 principle, 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And the things that you have heard from me, Paul says to Timothy, the things you've heard from me uh, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Everybody needs a Paul in their life. Somebody who is teaching you. Everybody then uh, needs someone else. Someone that you in turn can take what you've learned and pass that along to somebody else. Don't take your knowledge and experience with you to the grave. Teach somebody else. Pass it along. Make sure that other people know what you know, it's important. Find somebody. It's an investment that you make in their life as you teach them carefully, prayerfully, other people to do what you know how to do. Now, if you've ever taught a teenage boy or girl how to do something, you know that it can be a little frustrating. When you're standing out there knee-deep, elbow-deep in an automobile and you're trying to teach your kids how to do it, you know something. The reason it's frustrating is because you can do it yourself faster and easier, a lot faster, a lot easier. It's a lot faster, a lot easier to do it yourself than to teach somebody else. But if we go through life just doing it ourselves, we have set ourselves up, maybe down deep, we didn't realize it, but we've set ourselves up with that feeling of indispensability. We've lost sight then of how important it is to pass things along. We see that play out in real life. It's a tragedy when you see a grown young man, maybe a college age, that has no idea how to do the simplest tasks. It's not his fault. He needed a dad in his life to teach him those things. That young girl who doesn't know the simplest things, it's not her fault all the time. She needed a mom to teach her those things. And I know that a whole lot rather play video games. Amen? <laughs> I know that. We've got to teach them. And if that's true in the, in the secular world, then it is. It's also true in the spiritual world. We must constantly be training others to avoid that feeling of indispensability. None of us are indispensable. God raises up other people. He does. We need to make sure that we are involving ourselves in that work as well. And while that's true... It's also true that none of us are incidental. We may not be indispensable, and we're not. We mustn't be. But we're also not incidental. God can do without any one of us. He can do without me. But that doesn't mean that we're not important to Him and that we're not important to the cause of Christ. If we desert our post, if we quit, if we give up, then that decision is going to have... An influence on other people. When John got discouraged, others were distracted. He was there to help Paul and Barnabas, but instead of helping, he ended up being somebody that they had to spend time trying to help. And the very one who was there to assist them, to lighten their load, ends up adding to it because now they've got to minister to him. 
When John got discouraged and quit, others were discouraged. Few things discourage us any more than seeing workers abandon their post or people give up. And especially so if that's a person that we have trusted and depended on. And now they're gone. When John got discouraged, others were distressed. We think about Paul going in after a long day's work ministry. When they get to the place where they're staying, he walks in. There's no food ready. Nobody to greet him. For a moment, he might think, "Where? oh, yeah, John's gone. Maybe just in a moment, just out of habit, he's saying, John, would you? Oh, John's not here. And so if we are tempted to quit, let's remember that while it's true none of us are indispensable, God's work will go along without us. It's also true that none of us are incidental. All of us have a role to play. All of us are a part of the body of Christ. All of us have a place. When we give up then, God keeps working. And we are left to wonder. Wonder. Verse 14, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue of the Sabbath day and sat down. I don't know who said it, or I'd quote them. Uh, of all sad words by tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. I'm not sure if those are the saddest words of all. Uh, but I do understand the sentiment it might have been. It's a tough thing to contemplate life thinking about what we missed, what we missed, what we could have done, but we didn't do. Left wondering then what would have happened if we hadn't given up, if we had just gone on just a little bit further. Life's greatest adventure is to discover and fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. It is knowing that God, the God of the universe, who is all-sufficient, self-sufficient, who can do everything that He ever sets out to do all by Himself. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. God, by His very name, is I am that I am. That means He is 100% totally self-sufficient. He can do it all Himself. He doesn't need us. But amazingly, He chooses to work through us. One of the greatest joys in life is seeing God use us to make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. Oh, it's such a great thing. See somebody saved, somebody's life changed, somebody who was wandering away put back on the right path, somebody who was helped, somebody who was encouraged. Yes, sometimes the work is difficult, Yes, sometimes the fruit seems so slow to ripen and get ready. Yes, sometimes people are unappreciative. Yes, sometimes people are critical and can be downright cruel. It's easy to let it get to you, especially when people are slow to change, and they're always slow to change, and sometimes resent very much being asked to change. Yet we go on. Because God's work 
calls us to be in the business of changing lives through the power of the gospel as it saves us and then changes us from the inside out to make us more like Jesus Christ. This is the hope of the world. You say, Brother Rich, do you believe people can really change? Absolutely. I see it happen all the time. Uh, but it's not willpower that does it most of the time. It's the power of God. The Old Testament asks the question, can the leopard change his spots? Well, prob probably not. But I know one thing. People can change by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's changed you. He's changed me. Therefore, Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. In my mind's eye, maybe in my imagination, I can see John back home with his mom enjoying the warmth and welcome that only home and hearth can give. But he's not happy. He goes outside and looks out uh, from the mountain city of Jerusalem and he looks out toward the ocean. Maybe uh, the wind is blowing just right and he can smell the sea breeze even though he's many miles from the coast. And his mind is wandering. I wonder what Uncle Barnabas is doing. I wonder what Paul is doing. I wonder if they're okay. I wonder how God is working. There's a restlessness in his heart. He thought when he quit that everything would be fine. But it doesn't work that way. Because it creates an emptiness and a longing in our soul. We quit on God then. God keeps working. But we're left wondering, wondering what might have happened had we continued on and kept going. But God waits. Lastly, God waits. Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's now go back and visit our brethren in every city. Now, what has happened? Paul and Barnabas have gone on that magnificent journey. They have gone back to Antioch and gave a report. They've rested up, and now it's time. Barnabas says, let's go back and visit again all these places that we visited. Let's go check on the churches. Let's see how everybody is doing. And who shows up? And you guessed it, there was old John Mark. And Barnabas, verse 37, was determined to take with them, John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. This wasn't many months later when Paul and Barnabas were going on the work again and Barnabas the encourager the son of consolation, that's what his name means. The son of encouragement. Was quick to forgive John and was determined, determined that they give him another chance. Paul was equally as determined that they would not put themselves again in that position of relying on this young man who had proven himself to be irresponsible, immature, when they needed him most, he was gone. Barnabas said, let's give him another chance. Paul said, not at all. 
And astonishingly, the controversy grew so sharp between those two men of God that they actually split up. Paul would take Silas, and basically he'd go one way. Barnabas would take John Mark and, and go another. Got a simple question for us to consider today. Uh, are, are we more like Barnabas or are we more like Saul? Paul. You know, I made a conscious decision some years ago that I wanted to be like Barnabas. I wanted to be that encouraging person who was quick to forgive, who would give somebody another chance. And I've done that. I've tried to do that. People may quit, walk away, and then a few months later they come back. I, I'm sorry. I, give me another chance. I'll, I'll give them another chance. Sometimes I've given people another chance. Listen, even though I've known that they were going to quit again, in my heart I knew it, and I was right. I still gave them another chance. I'd love to be able to brag about that and say, you know, man, I've just got the heart of Barnabas, but I want you to know that inside my heart also beats the heart of Paul. It's still there. Still a bit suspicious. Still a bit worried about that person they've quit before. Are they going to quit again? And so as we're tempted to quit, let's remember this story because there'll be some people in your life who are quick to forgive you and give you another chance. And then there are other people who will be skeptical and suspicious of you, maybe for years, maybe for the rest of your life. They'll hold that up in front of you every chance they get. I remember when you quit. I remember when you turned your back on God. I remember when we needed you and you were gone. And the fact is that both of those realities are true. And they are what happens to us if we quit, if we give up. Some will forgive, and thank God one of them is Him. Amen. Amen. And He'll give us another chance. But others will never forget. Do you want to be a Paul, or do you want to be a Barnabas? I want to be a Barnabas, even as I acknowledge there's a lot of Paul's spirit in me as well. So here's John Mark, running from God, as we say it. Have you ever thought about how futile it is to run from the omnipresent God? <laughs> you know why God lets us run? Where are we going to run to? When do we get there? He's there waiting on us. What took you so long? Been here, man. I could tell you all kinds of stories in the Bible. There's Elijah ran for 40 days and 40 nights, and when he got to the cave, who was there? God was there. What doest thou? What are you doing here, Elijah? What doest thou here, Elijah? Story after story, the psalmist actually asked that question, whether shall I flee from thy spirit or whether shall I run from thy presence? Wherever I go, God, you're there. God's not intimidated by our running from Him. That's why I call this God waits. God waits. 
Some years ago, a preacher told me something I've never forgotten, and I've seen it play out in the lives of multitudes of people because he said that the saddest and most miserable people that he had ever known are those who had given up on their calling, who had quit on what God had given them to do. Don't be that person. Don't let that happen. The Bible tells us that in due season we shall reap if we don't give up. But there's good news. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, I might have been a little hard on Paul this morning, but I wanted to make a point. Colossians 4 and 10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, that's John Mark, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. In his last letter he wrote before he died, 2 Timothy chapter 4, who does he mention? Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with me, with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Timothy, Luke is with me, the beloved physician, we call him. But you come and bring Mark because he's profitable to me. But the passage also contains a warning because. 2 Timothy 4.11 is set in stark contrast to verse 10 where Paul said, Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world, the word translated forsaken there is a military word. It means he's a deserter. Demas has deserted me. Left under fire left when he needed him the most. We don't want to be a deserter like Demas. Mark, you see, came back. Mark got it right. God was able to use him. And at the end of his life, Paul was calling for him, bring John Mark. God gives us a second chance. Even Paul gave him a second chance. God worked it out. God used him. We never hear from Demas again. He deserted. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't quit on us this morning? That would be a great place for an amen. Aren't you glad he didn't quit? Aren't you glad he doesn't quit? He doesn't give up. And the one who took the cross for you and me deserves the full measure of our devotion, whatever that might be. Maybe fear has kept you on the sidelines. Maybe it's not a temptation to quit. For you, it's the fear of ever getting in the game at all. Fear has kept you on the sidelines. If there's one thing I can tell you confidently today, it is that Faith Baptist Church has a position where you can serve if you're willing. If you're willing. And God intends for you to. You say, well, I might fail. Our God is able. Our God is able. If you're worried about failing, take that out of the equation because I can guarantee you 
that you're not always going to get it right. Sometimes you're going to mess up. Sometimes you're going to say one thing and it should have been something else. There's going to be times of failure. Oh, but we have the promise of God. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you don't give up. Keep plowing. Keep planting. Keep weeding. Keep watering. Keep spraying that fertilizer. Keep doing it. In due season, you shall reap. Any farmer in the world would take that guarantee right now in March. The guarantee that he's going to reap a crop. Any farmer would take it. Guaranteed that there'll be a crop. God guarantees us. If we'll keep going, if we don't give up, don't quit, there will be a harvest time. There will be a crop. In due season, you shall reap if you don't give up. Let's stand together, please.